1: Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts.
2: Hi, I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. Was started as a short lived attempt by protesters to close down the Dan Ryan, turned into a full blown clash downtown. Oh 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 hmm. Sounds from a chaotic weekend at this uh, protest in Chicago. Most protests were peaceful, but ended with clashes with police who used tear gas and became physical. But the police say they were on the defensive citing protesters as the agitators, who, as the mayor said, came looking for a fight. Chicago police released video stating their case, and protesters did the same. And other elected officials are condemning the police actions. Activists are demanding the release of arrested protesters and an apology. Coming up, we'll talk with an alderman who signed the open letter against this weekend's actions. But first with us now is Grace DelVecchio. She's a freelance reporter for Block Club Chicago who's been covering the protests. She was covering the story in The Loop Saturday And coming up, we'll hear from an organizer and activist on the events as well. We'll reach out to the police. They declined to come on. Grace, thanks for being here.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. So let's get right
2: to what happened on Saturday night.
1: Yeah, so when I stood up at the protest right at the beginning, where it started at the Bean, and things were very peaceful. um, They started marching, um, and they marched from the Bean to Wacker in Michigan, which is where things just kind of started to unfold. Protesters were, it seemed, were looking to take Lakeshore Drive, and police were very much blockading the way to Lakeshore Drive, and that is kind of when things Mm -hmm. began to unfold. So the first violent altercations were there at Michigan and Wacker, and protesters and the organizers of the protests quickly were like, okay, everyone, let's get out, let's get out, let's move. They very much made it clear they wanted to keep people safe, and so they moved the protesters away back south, and that's when everything really began to escalate because as the protesters continued to move away, the police line followed.
2: So the police line coming up behind them from Millennium Park, the police line in front of them, one issue if you think about that area at Wacker in Michigan, remember this weekend the bridges were up. So they couldn't move yeah. forward over the river going north, so they tried to go to Lakeshore Drive or even westbound on Wacker. The police blocked them from doing so. Really, the only option was to go backwards.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what they did because, like, yeah, the bridges were all up. It was a very blocked, like, area, and so they continued to move south, they, to move away from the police, and the police followed them as they continued to move south back towards Millennium Park, and then they followed them as they moved west on Randolph, that, which led further into the middle of the loop, And that is where, again, violent altercations continued um, throughout the evening and into the night.
2: There have been a lot of uh, differing narratives uh, between demonstrators and the Chicago Police Department. And I want to play right now uh, Superintendent David Brown, who just spoke, was on the podium just the last uh, couple minutes. And here's some of what he said.
0: Very chaotic. Um, At some point, there, there was a concerted effort that I saw to agitate officers, to pull them into uh, more conflict and confrontation physically. And I saw the officers remain calm, keep their professionalism, and take only the proportional appropriate action when confronted with violence.
2: Now, this has been something because the police jumped out pretty quick, and they put out videos showing agitators. Uh, a man was uh, charged with uh, attacking an attacking officer with a skateboard. We saw a, a lot of the Chicago police saying that's what caused all of the violent altercations. But what you're talking about is further back when the protesters who weren't a part of that crew were trying to leave.
1: Yeah, and so— <laughs> I want to say that that altercation, I know exactly what altercation you're referring to with the skateboard, and that was already once the agitation began. That was, or not agitation, I want to be very clear. That's when the altercations already began, and that was just in the mix. And there has been a very big mm. spotlight on that one issue. Repeatedly, there's been a spotlight on that one altercation. But that, if anything, was a response. And like I said, like, I was there, and this is me as an eyewitness saying this as well, is that. There was extreme altercations happening, and that, like I said, that's been kind of an unnecessarily spotlight has been brought to that one specific issue. But that was happening as again, and like I guess all these altercations are mixed in with police continuing to follow protesters as they were retreating. But that specific altercation happened. Further up towards Wacker in Michigan, mm.
2: and that's interesting because I think that the way that it's been couched, whether it's in news reports or what the police put out, was that was almost the beginning of altercations. The protesters were the agitators; police were defending themselves. But you're saying that the timeline is different—that there were already altercations happening.
1: Yeah, I, as an eyewitness, I will say that the police were not were not calm. Um, <laughs> from what I was seeing, and I was there the entire time. I was there from the beginning to the end where I saw people being pushed and shoved and grabbed and thrown to the ground and people who were not touching the police, people who were not going after the police were being literally grabbed from the grabbed from front, pepper sprayed, tear gassed. To be honest with you, what happened on Saturday, the best word that I can use to describe it is, is dehumanizing.
2: Grace, I saw the piece about kettling that was done, uh, about how the mm-hmm. police are using different tactics and techniques to what they say control the crowd. But it seemed I saw a lot of eyewitness video of protesters saying, we don't want to be here, we want to go, and the police not letting them leave.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely speak directly to that. I was kettled among the protesters with those groups, and there were different spots of kettling, where I was kettled there on LaSalle. Yeah, people were, were raising their hands. They were raising their hands and peacefully, and they were, they were begging. It was what they were doing. They were, they were begging. They were like, just, let us go home, let us go home. And before all of the kettling really set in, protesters were sprinting. They were sprinting. They wanted to get out of the loop, and they were just trying to get away. I actually have a video, and I didn't post it because it's really, really shaky, but it's just people sprinting, trying to find different ways. And then the kettling set in, and people were also kettled in alleys and on corners. And they were, they were begging they were begging to be let go. They were begging to just go home, and for a while, um, that wasn't happening, and no one was being let out, and eventually, where I was, they were letting people out one by one. They were searching them, searching their bags. Like mm-hmm. I said, I, got, I was kettled there as well, and, and eventually, I was let go, but people, they were begging. They wanted to leave. They wanted to go home. and they weren't allowed
2: to do so. Yeah. Grace Delvecchio, freelance reporter for Block Club Chicago and other outlets here in Chicago, was covering the protest on Saturday. Thanks, Grace, for checking in with us. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much.
2: And again, we asked the Chicago Police Department to come on today. They declined. So let's go to another voice, organizer and activist, Jamal Green. Jamal, welcome back to Reset.
0: Thank you so much
2: for having me. And, J. Mel, you were part of a press conference yesterday where, where organizers pushed back at the CPD's assertion that the uh, protests uh, began the violence this weekend uh, downtown and protests. What happened from your vantage point on Saturday night?
0: Well, uh, let me first just I just want to thank uh, Grace and uh, Bashan. Two freelance journalists who come to these protests, they make sure that they document what exactly is really going on with no agenda. So I do want to just thank her for her great work. Secondly, a lot of these young people that are out here on these front lines today are mentees of mine. And as many know, I was their aide leading these protests for many years during the Laquan McDonald situation. And what happened from my viewpoint is that you guys just kind of touched on it. Uh, kettling was going on. Police were, were basically trying to control the crowd and push them into the directions that they wanted to. Bridges were raised. And they were cornered in. And then when they they were cornered in, the protesters started reacting um, to being cornered in, saying, let us go or let us go this way. And police officers would be trying to grab them and push them and arrest them, use pepper spray so that they can try to push them into another direction. And that's basically how the altercations happen. Protesters don't go to protest to pick fights with police. They don't. They right. they they're coming. Especially you talking about folks with water bottles and umbrellas. They feel like be, having an umbrella means that you are. What the heck is armed with an umbrella? You guys have bullets. Right. You know. So. ma but
2: they're uh, they, they're pushing back and they support that with video that there are some and and the mayor mentioned this on national TV this weekend. There are some what they call people looking for a fight. Protesters who may not be part of the peaceful protests, may not be part of the organizers, but come down there to stir chaos.
0: Listen, there's a lot of police officers that literally go to protest to stir up fights. Okay? And at the end of the day, the police need to know how to de-escalate situations and not turn things into situations where they're beating multiple people. This is a situation where the city is deciding, number one, not to move forward any of the policies that are being demanded after all of this time since George Floyd, so they are not moving forward anything that is a real change. And then on top of that, the only attention that we get to these policies is to give more police officers to protest give them 50 million in overtime to use force at protest that is not doing anything. You want to get protests down, then you go by the policies that they're demanding and try to work with them so that you can get, right. get to some common ground. Jane, and that's well, what this administration. As is
2: you talking. mentioned, you've been involved with, the, with a lot of different protests over the years here in Chicago, from Laquan McDonald uh, to NATO and, and other places like that. Has it changed? Are, are you seeing a difference in, in the way that this police force is led and the yes. police force is directed when it comes to protests?
0: The police have always been reckless. (laughs) Let me just put that out there. But the tactics are way worse under Superintendent David Brown, which is why I call for his resignation. I think he's doing a terrible job as superintendent of uh, Chicago police and have been doing a terrible job since he's been here. And I know he's only been here four or five months, but the reality is we keep allowing him to use these strategies. We're going to have way more lawsuits and way more confrontations with police officers going forward. And we need to stop that. They were not doing what they're doing to uh, these protesters today to us. And we led the largest protest. I was leading five to 10,000 people a day downtown shut down Michigan Avenue and everything else and they were not kettling us pepper spraying us using riot gear hitting us beat they were not doing none of those things so what they're doing today their tactics are way more forceful than they used to be and our protests were way more larger
2: and I just want to make for the record, kettling is when police will confine a group of demonstrators or protesters in a small area. It's a method of crowd control. We've been using that term, and I didn't really explain it. But, J. yesterday, organizers had press conferences to push back on the CPD's narrative uh, that they put out yep. uh, on Saturday night. You and others are demanding an apology. You think you'll get it from yep. Chicago police?
0: Well, listen, the Chicago Police Department would never apologize for how racist and oppressive and forceful it is. Um, so I'm not demanding an apology. I'm demanding a uh, defund of Chicago Police Department. I want action. I don't want words. We need to get to a situation where we understand that our strategies with policing is not working. How much money do we have to spend? How many times do we have to bankrupt the city to keep giving money to the police officers? We had a 700 million dollar shortfall after COVID, and we still gave them 50 million for overtime in June. We're still giving them another 50 million for overtime in July. When do we understand that it's not working? Look at the numbers, the highest violence, they can't stop looting. They can't stop protests. They're ineffective. So why do we keep giving them money when we don't try to change our strategy and try a new way so that we can derail some of the the issues that are going on? I don't understand how much money we got to spend to figure this out.
2: It's organizer Jamal Green. Jamal, thanks for joining us this morning. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate you.
2: And again, we did reach out to the Chicago Police Department for an interview this morning, but they were not available. The invitation still stands. I would love to have the superintendent on to talk uh, specifically about these tactics and what's happening, not just with downtown Chicago, but with the protests and, and how they're handling protests in general. We'll continue to stay on the police to be a part of this program. Speaking of protests this weekend, the preferred method of communication from the police and the protesters was social media. It's becoming ground zero for this summer's unrest, and on Friday, Mayor Lightfoot announced a social media task force as part of her new plan to protect downtown. The mayor said the 20-person task force will provide 24-hour monitoring to prevent looting and unrest in the future. But the use of social media surveillance raises some questions for privacy advocates, as well as the American Civil Liberties Union. Joining us now to talk about how far authorities are allowed to go when it comes to monitoring your Social media is Matthew Cugler. He's an associate professor of law at Northwestern University. Uh, Mr. Kugler, thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: So, Matt, let me ask you: Illinois has some of the toughest laws when it comes to online privacy. So, is monitoring social media and potentially using it as evidence in a criminal case is that legal?
3: Uh, generally, yes. And when we have some strong privacy laws, but they tend to be on various particular things. Like we have a very strong biometric privacy law. We have a fairly strong data breach privacy law, but we don't have a general privacy statute that would really govern this kind of conduct.
2: Hmm. What are the boundaries when we hear about a task force and they're going to monitor 24 hours a day? What, how far can authorities go or not go? Where, where are the lines drawn when it comes to that?
3: So we're really looking at federal law to answer that question for the most part. And police can certainly sign on to a social media website and see anything that any other user can see. Uh, There's nothing really stopping them from doing that. It's basically public. The thing that's harder is if they want to get access to things that not every user can see. And to get access to the really sensitive stuff, they would need a warrant from a judge, which you can't do on the kind of scale you'd want for the social media monitoring. So obviously law enforcement's a little cagey about what they actually do. I guess they have people seeing public information on social media websites, And I would not be surprised if they had contracts with third-party companies trying to do more ambitious analytics. That was certainly a thing they were trying to do a couple of years ago. The ACLU had some good Freedom of Information Act requests related to that. But we could never really get a good handle on exactly what was happening there and, importantly, whether it was working at all.
2: Well, the ACLU is suing the city of Chicago to find out more about what these practices are What are the dangers when it comes to social media monitoring generally?
3: So there are a couple of different things that could happen here. Certainly, if you're trying to find out whether someone has posted on Twitter, hey, let's all go to downtown at midnight and start looting, that sounds like the kind of thing the police should be aware of. And some of the comments from your last guest says, oh, and the police should be better at preventing looting. So I think there's fairly widespread consensus on that point, even among those skeptical police the problem is that as you start doing the social media monitoring, are you looking only for people who are engaged in criminal conduct like looting, or are you also looking for people who are protesting? The last thing we'd want is for the police to have a list of people who don't like the police. That strikes me as an invitation for abuse. Right. So I think many of the people worried about this social media stuff are saying, well, hey, I might post things critical of the police on social media. Am I going to be made to pay for that in some sense down the road that is inconsistent with the free society? Right. So I think it's that kind of lurking fear in the background of how much do they know about me? What might they do with, about that? Could I even know if they did?
2: Right, right. Can things like a tweet, just a tweet saying that someone's angry and, and wants to do something about it, can that be used as evidence against somebody?
3: I mean, evidence certainly, but evidence of what? Uh, certainly saying you're angry at the police is... Evidence you're angry at the police, but isn't evidence that you've committed a crime. If this were, say, a murder investigation and you had a bunch of social media posts about your state of mind... That would be highly relevant. There are occasionally cases of overreach where someone was retweeting a post asking if anyone could identify a particular police officer, and the law enforcement department at issue was quite upset by that. Mm-hmm. And that was condemned as overreach universally, dropped, et cetera. But it's a little unclear how much you can conclude from any isolated tweet or something like that. It's obviously saying I'm going to go do something illegal that is going to uh, – be highly suggestive if it ever shows up in court
2: right when we start thinking about freedom that is you know granted or awarded to us as american citizens you start thinking about the freedom to protest monitoring social media can that be considered as targeting or even dissuading people uh from assembling is that an infringement in any way on their uh rights like the rights of freedom to protest
3: Get into that area and unfortunately there isn't a good legal check on that. It's the kind of thing that is probably most often checked at the ballot box because fundamentally the information is out there in public. You would need to start having a very inappropriate investigation with representations to judges that weren't quite true to be able to make a real claim for some kind of political targeting. Mm -hmm. If they're just sitting there kind of seeing the posts go across Twitter and Facebook that are publicly available, It's hard to make a legal case out of it, even if there is obviously some reason to be concerned. Right.
2: Well, it's a fascinating conversation because we're going to have to see how this kind of plays out. And I'm sure that if uh, the task force does its job and it catches someone using social media as a way to incite violence or looting or anything like that, it'll play out in the courts and we'll see it. Do you think that that's what's going to happen? Do you think that there will be, with this task force, a 20-person task force, more spotlight on how social media is used by the criminal justice system and the law enforcement system?
3: I think it will be largely invisible because if this system works well, what will happen is uh, the police will show up, and they'll catch the person in the act of illegal activity, and they may never even say why they knew to be there. Mm. Certainly, if I were the police, I'd be slow to say, yes, I have this delightful way of figuring out exactly where you're going to be. No, I'll, I'll just show up and catch you, and then the evidence will be right there. I'm also wondering if part of why they're announcing this 21st person task force is to just discourage people from going online and saying, hey, let's all go looting, because they want to chill that. It's good to chill that, even if it's not good to chill the rest of it. So maybe they just want to give everyone the sense, people are watching, we're taking this seriously. If you see a post, we saw it too. It is not safe to go out. This is not something everyone's doing. Because I think looking at the people who are booked – coming out last Sunday night, there were people who seemed to just get swept up in it. And they're probably trying to shut that down just so they can focus on the people who are, in their eyes, the more determined right. bad actors. Right. Interesting
2: conversation. Matthew Kugler, uh, Associate Professor of Law at Northwestern University. Matthew, thanks for joining us today. I
3: appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
2: Well, that's it for Reset. I'm Justin Kaufman. Check us out tomorrow and stay safe.
0: At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind.